0: Discussion keeps the world turning.
1: This is Roundtable.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Yang. Good to have you join us. Office sharing company WeWork, once a venture capital darling valued at 47 billion US dollars, has filed for bankruptcy on November the 6th. What went so wrong in a company which was once one of America's most valuable startups. And we have a special interview lined up for you in the second half of the show, and it will most possibly expand your horizon, so please stay tuned for that. And for this discussion, I'm joined by Yushun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line, first on today's show. Was WeWork a tech company, a multi-billion dollar business, a way of life? With the benefit of hindsight, it's easy to say emphatically, no. But back when WeWork was soaring with a valuation of 47 billion U.S. dollars or more than 340 billion Chinese yuan, we are left wondering if the people involved have learned anything. Well, WeWork has risen and fall on its stylish co-working spaces, larger-than-life founder, and ability to rake in and spend investors' cash. So, shouldn't walk us through the company's rise and downfall.
0: Mm actually this company offers as we know shared office space service this bankruptcy actually is marking a downfall for what was once much celebrated tech unicorn okay when we are saying maybe this is you know we look at it as a tech company but when we are seeing the essence of this company it's actually Uh, more of a service about real estate, Mm -hmm. right? It's providing leasing service. And according to CNN, the company's stock lost more than 99% of its value. And the SoftBank-backed venture, which was privately valued at around 47 billion U.S. dollars at its peak, was worth 45 million U.S. dollars before its bankruptcy filing. And yes, the company provided service all around the globe, and in China, the Chinese branch claims that they are not affected, actually. On the morning of November 3rd, a WeWork China representative responded to a domestic news outlet, Economic View, stating that the news does not impact WeWork China's operations because... WeWork China had already separated from WeWork back in late 2020, and they have full confidence in the Chinese market.
2: All right. Sounds like the spokesperson of a business. And uh, certainly, if you've been watching this uh, news story, tech story unfold, some people raise the question, Finally, like it's taken so long because ever since the implosion of the IPO of this company in 2019, figures haven't been looking very good for this company. So Josh, after reading and learning about the WeWork story, what's your immediate takeaway?
1: Well, as you quite rightly said, I I think that it was expected and for a few years now, Uh, We all know, or many people have been aware that WeWork has faced significant challenges and started to encounter a lot of financial troubles in particular. And I I think that's why I myself, am not too surprised at what's happened here. And I know that the story is slightly different in China, which is very interesting, uh, which we will discuss, I think. But things like financial mismanagement, um, I think just WeWork's business model relying so heavily on long term lease agreements while offering short-term memberships i think this created a real gap between its its liabilities and revenue and this is something that has been highlighted in a lot of articles about this issue and then we work had a lot of financial obligations but its revenue streams weren't sufficient to cover all of the costs of course this results Mm -hmm. in drastic financial instability and i i think that also one of the major issues which is Quite an interesting one because i i know that i've seen this myself is over expansion just seeing the Mm -hmm. amount of these we work offices and obviously if you're going to expand then you need to be able to compensate for it and this you know if we use the word over expansion it means that it expanded too quickly and you know renovating these large office spaces right in the middle of the most major cities around the world um, this is going to incur, incur massive costs, right? Um, in Things like lease agreements again and building renovations just didn't prove to be sustainable in, in the long run.
2: And also given the pandemic was almost um, like driving the last nail into that coffin. And it's unfortunate that a company goes bust, but it's... Founder still managed to walk away with close to 2 billion US dollars in 2019. And if you dig deeper into this WeWork story, it unveils some of the incredibly horrific, if not soul crushing, aspects of the Silicon Valley startup story. And there's definitely a lesson to be learned, but I don't know if the people Involved are willing to learn that lesson. And I remember reading a few chapters of this book, which came out in 2021, called The Cult of We, We Work, Adam Newman, which is the founder, and The Great Startup Delusion. And it's fascinating portraying how this very charismatic founder manages to basically uh, convince, if not fool, some of the biggest bankers in the world that you think are supposedly the smartest people in the room, but they're really not. And it's just shocking how Adam newman he always knew how to hook on to what venture capitalists wanted. In 2012, it was the physical Facebook. That's how he branded his company and eventually became more of an artificial intelligence company. I don't sense Mm. any of the tech stuff in WeWork. Essentially, it's a real estate company, but he would put some of the hot-button terms of what was in the tech zeitgeist at the moment into it, and now, when you look at it, it kind of made no sense. But he managed to get Goldman Sachs, uh, SoftBank, Morgan Stanley, and and you know all these big investment firms to back him. So it's really quite incredible. This is the story, yes, about WeWork, but it's so much more than that. The story. Is about, you know, startup culture in the U.S., how finance works, also about the economy it was, and in a way, the economy yet to be. Um, Do you think that Silicon Valley will learn from WeWork and... Um, And if I may also throw in another recent example, the wild rise and abrupt crash of Sam Bankman Fred, who was called the uh, Crypto King. He's the founder of um, a major crypto platform, FTX, which went bust. So yeah, do you think that there can be lessons learned here?
0: Yeah, and um, I think the lesson, of course, they will uh, learn from this event. But isn't it, you know, the path that venture capital will always face? You know, because in the first place, these startup companies, when they are getting these capitals, they are actually selling their ideas, and um, these, you know, banks or investors are actually seeing maybe there is a promising future according to what they said, because. As a startup on a company you cannot see actually you know that very clear map or you know obvious result of you know maybe three or five years later so and another one is that um you know this seems to be a very i would say common pattern in the investment sector and among some recent uh you know emerging businesses because there is a you know typically a substantial initial investment of course and the success depends on whether you can afford these kind of initial cost right if you can be successful you may become a you know an, in- an industry leader but if you not maybe you will face closure so uh, I think um, the same example also applies to you know another uh, sharing economy companies like shared power banks and shared bicycles in China. Also, a lot of these experienced like merge and acquisition or even closure. So if you can survive and then maybe you will get into the, you know, regular and normal path of um, operating your businesses and um, profit pr- from your regular business, and then there may be a promising future. But if not, that will be another story then.
1: Well, if we're going to talk about, some of the lessons that we could take away from this, then I think, to piggyback off what I was talking about earlier, I think sustainable growth, uh, as opposed to really aggressive expansion. And if we look at a lot of these examples that you've spoken about as well, Young today, they're all companies and they're all businesses that have expanded rapidly i mean it's it's really unprecedented some of these technologies and things like crypto and things like this the the rate and the amount of money that we're talking about here it almost seems too good to be true and it all always did to me seem a little bit too good to be true and it's turned out that a lot of them have been too good to be true and i think that when we look at something like we work it almost physically embodies given that it's like literally expanding within the center of big cities um it literally embodies the issue of overexpansion and aggressive expansion. So I think that businesses really need to prioritize sustainable growth strategies, Um, you know, consider the market conditions and the demand and financial stability. But I mean, when you couple that with human greed, (laughs) I -hmm. think that it's quite difficult to balance.
2: Yeah, and also because the companies had that unimaginable amount of money pouring in, and also I think, what you just um, talked about, Josh, it's more of the um, wholesome way of doing business, which is hardly the case in the age of, you know, overflow of capital. So sometimes um, if that momentum can't be maintained, then it's a quick fall that some of these companies might experience. And the really shocking Truth And another really shocking truth is that when there apparently are no supervision um, guardrails in place to prevent the founder, if not, you know, the people around him or this person, to get their hands on the money and move it out of the company. and And that's just incredibly shocking because a safety mechanism should be in place when you think of, you know, how these companies are getting capital and how they're managing all that money. So there's that cautionary tale that we're sharing with you today called WeWork. And Yushun, could you help us refresh our memory on the former glory of the shared office space, which was, well, now we see there's nothing tech related to Mm -hmm. it, but... It was a big thing and maybe it is still. So let us know.
0: Mm, back then, it was quite popular all around the world, actually. So, according to Statista, in 2017, there were over 4,000 co working spaces in the US and there were about 1.18 million people who worked in co working spaces worldwide. And in United States alone, there were, like, around 542,000 people working in these co-working spaces in that year. And in China, actually, there was also a very huge wave of, you know, the... Uh, domestic shared office trend. You know, numerous players were joining the market. In 2015, there were 2,500 shared office companies in China. And by sep- September 2018, there were over 300 domestic shared office platforms. And before 2019, the shared office market saw a huge growth with brands like Soho 3Q, Ucommune, and WePlus entering the market, some of which even competed with industry giant we work as we are saying about it, and some of them are still operating right now. So we can see that there are needs for these kind of service. But what the market will go is a question mark.
1: Well, of, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic definitely showed us that hybrid and remote work is possible. And I think before that time. It was quite difficult, although many people knew it was possible and we all hoped for it, I think, in some regard, especially if we're working in offices all the time. It wasn't until that happened that we really witnessed it's the reality of it. And so I I think that there was a push for it. And everybody got quite excited about it which is important when we talk about the market it's living right and excitement about things drives stock prices up and it drives investment and it is really important that's why we use this term confidence in the market right it's a real thing and there was confidence in this new type of work and we work and these hybrid office spaces offered that opportunity again they embodied it but it was maybe not to be, uh, you know, that excitement is finite, I think, and it can't go on forever. So I think that that's possibly a reason. And, And also, I think that, you know, maybe one of the reasons why this kind of work environment, things like WeWork has had relative success in China or relative sustained success in China compared to countries like my own and in the US is because China is still a booming business in, environment, I, I would say, a booming continuous tense, right? It is still booming, it is still growing. And so that leaves more room for startups and entrepreneurs and small businesses. Whereas, you know, I, I would argue that in a city like London, for example, it's it's growing, but I wouldn't say that it's booming. I wouldn't use that adjective. And so I'm not sure, maybe when China uh, isn't booming as such, maybe we work. Won't be as popular anymore i'm not sure but i think there's a massive difference there
0: yeah and also aside from you know the effect of uh covet 19 pandemic actually when i was reading the story of we work there are like hints showing that even before the pandemic it the business is is actually going down a little bit to be honest so um and when we are seeing the reasons in this we can see that one thing is that the service that these companies are offering are quite simple. Actually, one is leasing service, another one is the added value services they offer not only the the place but also some services when you are when you need to work in their workspaces, right? For example, like Wi-Fi or cleaning, maintenance. But in that way, you know, they cannot actually get many extra you know profit from these kind of business mode in and um that may be a signal of you know not being very sustainable as what Josh just said
2: yeah so basically this idea is that you've got to have enough small companies or you know businesses sometimes we're talking about maybe just a couple of people a handful of people make up of this company and they need to see clients they need to have an office space maybe just a few hours a couple of days a week or whatnot and they want to hire and rent a space to do the work and see clients or whatnot and therefore that's when we work where this kind of business model comes in and now um the irony is there is plenty of space In big cities like San Francisco, New York, uh, or or all over the world in these big cities where there is plenty of empty office space in the downtown area. But do you have the (laughs) demand for this kind of service? And there's a huge question mark there. So it's really interesting to see how we view and value a business model just let's say five years ago as opposed to now because the picture looks completely different and back then I remember doing a show on this business model and everybody was singing the praises and saying hey just think about how much cost it's gonna save and it makes so much sense for smaller businesses and enterprises to um embrace this new way of arranging your business, uh, office space, and uh, this is the way to go. And everything looked so like bright and shiny and new associated with this company. But now things look quite different. And the way we work most possibly has changed as well. So do you think the Bankruptcy of one leading company in this space equates almost the failure of this kind of business model? Or do you think that's not the case? It's just, you know, one unfortunate bankruptcy case that should not affect the industry. What are your thoughts on that?
1: That's a really great question. And I think that it's not really black and white in this regard. I think that it doesn't. WeWorks failing here doesn't illustrate the complete collapse of the hybrid remote workspace market and business model. I think that we definitely are seeing more hybrid and remote work happening. And I think that there will be, there is definitely an industry there, as there is always industry that surrounds any kind of demand. And demand for remote and hybrid work definitely will require a demand for remote and hybrid workspaces. However, that being said, I don't know if in the long term we're going to see things exactly like WeWork. And I think that something that looks exactly like this isn't always going to exist because what existed before WeWork, if you wanted to meet a client or something or work for a couple of days, what would you do? Well, you would find other options, right? You would find things like coffee shops. You would. I don't know if you really needed to rent something out, you would go to an exhibition center to present something. These places have existed in slightly different forms, but I think there's a crossover there. So I I think that we're gonna start to see something quite different in the future, that maybe it's integrated into more of a cafe kind of environment. Maybe um, the way that you pay for it, it will be different. And I know that this also works in different cultures as well, but I, I do think that something exactly like WeWork, I'm not sure if we're going to see that in the future, but this, this industry as a whole, I don't think that it's collapsed and I don't think it will.
0: Yes. And I think, you know, the demand for shared office or shared workspaces may continue to exist, you know, because uh, ex- especially for some of the you know tech companies and um, small and medium sized enterprises, they may need a space for, you know, just like Josh just said, may need to negotiate with their partners and a clean, a tidy, or with, you know, same style furniture workspace can be a plus for them. And if you are renting a whole, you know, office. For these companies, maybe this is going to be a very expensive price for them. So in this way, maybe there is still needs for them. And um, also uh, when we are thinking about small startups, of course, they would like to cut the cost of, you know, the initial periods. There are needs for these small startups. For example, if you need to register a company, you'd got to have a office, right? So maybe in that way, these companies can find another solution or just change in direction in offering services. And also, as we said, as the model of these companies are quite simple, maybe they can come up with more ideas on the services that they provide, not only about the leasing and these maintenance services, but also some detailed or customized service for their partners.
2: Yes. You guys offer some really good points, and I can't help but still get stuck on the fact that 47 billion U.S. dollars just went poof, evaporated. I mean, that's a whole lot of money. Josh, what's your take on this, you know, when just the thought of all that money can just go away like that?
1: Well... I mean, I'm no expert, but I think that something that we can talk about is transparency here. And I think that when there's a lack of transparency and a lack of proper corporate governance in a company, this is when things like this can happen, or it can seem like a real surprise when it happens. So businesses such as the ones we've been talking about, I think that they've a lot of them have failed to really establish proper, robust governance structures and transparency with their stakeholders and things like this, whether it comes down to ethical practices being prioritized and building trust and credibility. But I mean, aside from that, I think that's just the way the market is these days. When we've moved into this technology market and when most of the world's most prosperous countries are tertiary economies and um, we're talking about stocks and we're talking about technology, we're talking about stuff in the cloud that's making money rather than tangible goods and things like this, it can just disappear. In a moment's at a moment's notice, and it's really shocking when it happens. But we're seeing it more and more. You can get rich just as quick as you can become poor.
2: Mm-hmm. That's definitely one side of it. But let me just say this again: When Adam Newman walked away with his close to two billion U.S. dollar package, there were thousands of employees who were fired. I mean, it's just this story. I think uncovers some of the fundamental inequalities or discrepancies of today's startup world. And I'm curious to hear what you want to say about this story as well as everything we discuss on this show. Please send us an email to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com.